0: So I was thinking about what to to do. Gus is up in the Boundary Waters somewhere. And he asked me if I would do this. And uh, I thought, well, I have uh, Sunday school on Sunday also. So I looked at our uh, lessons for Sunday school. And uh, mine is the first one. Uh, First Sunday is Balaam. They're doing it like third and fourth grade has a series on animals. Anyway, long story short, I thought, well, I would, I would look at it and then look at Balaam and see how we could make that work for this evening as well. So before we get started and I get carried away here, let's have a word of prayer. My dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and opportunity to look into it. Uh, thank you for your many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. Uh, uh, certainly not because of anything that we've done or will ever do to deserve them, but because you're a, a merciful, loving God. So we just pray for wisdom and direction as we go through this study in your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Balaam is a, well, it's a study of, of, I hate to say it like this, but I will, a faithful obedience, service, and devotion. But none of those are true of Balaam. I mean, they're actually true of his donkey. But there's a realization, even at the end, obe- The story of Balaam is Numbers 22, 23, and 24. And I don't know if it goes any farther. That's as far as I read. But we're only going to center our study tonight in 22. But there's a realization that true happiness can be found only when we're in the center of God's will. Now you have to remember the story of Balaam is in Numbers 22. So it's an Old Testament story. And as God is dealing with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you know, many of the blessings that they received were conditional. You know, men obeyed and they were blessed. And you know, you think about a New Testament economy, it creates a little problem for us because we can't look at those stories and make direct application in a sense that God doesn't bless us. On the basis of our obedience. At least not directly. And we'll get to that. But God did and still does want men to obey Him. Now, we don't like that word. And we'll get to that in a minute, too. But it's not, God doesn't want that because He's imposing His will on us. But it's because he knows what's best for us. Now, the successful men, whether in the Old or New Testament, were successful because they had that fear of God, that reverential awe for how great, kind, merciful, and loving Jehovah God is. Now, the motivation for us is a response to God's loving provision for us. But you know, we need to just depend upon the, the Spirit of God to be able to produce that life in us. But it does take a decision on our part. You really have to, you know, what do you want? Do you want to live for the Lord? Do you want to be in fellowship? Do you want your life to be valuable? So there is a sense of, you know, deciding in a sense that you want your life to count for Christ. Now, turning your Bibles to—we're going to get a lot of turning in our Bibles. There's no, uh, there's no PowerPoint. and I hope there's a point to it all, but there's no PowerPoint. So look in Romans 5.19. You're going to get a little work in your Bible tonight. We'll see when you get there in 519 that Jesus Christ fulfilled the plan of God. Because he tells us, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That fulfillment of God's plan is called here obedience. And if you look up obedience, one of the definitions for obedience for that Greek word is submission. So truly, this is submitting to the will of God. And so Jesus Christ himself, in eternity past, submitted himself to God's plan For the salvation of men. And we need to see that fulfilling God's will in our lives is obedience also. But submitting our life, our will, our desires to God and doing what He desires of us. So what is God's will for us? Now, well, there's many verses in the Bible that talk specifically about this is the will of God that you would. Now, there's, there's lots. But we're not going to look at those specifically tonight. But how about an overarching verse? Well, there's two of them that, I, that came to my mind. One is uh, Deuteronomy 10:12. So I want to turn there. Deuteronomy ten twelve it says and now Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee? What does the Lord require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. What does God desire of us? What is God's desire? If we're going to submit ourselves then to God's desire for us rather than occupying ourselves with our own desires, then we need to spend time in the Word of God. We need to see what it has for us. And we need to seek to serve him with our whole heart. So turn to Micah. 6, 8 Don't go to Micah often, but it's a great verse I have it on the wall above my computer I just wish I had it in my heart more He says He hath showed thee, O man what is good And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Now the concept of walking humbly with our God is to walk in submission to his desires for us. To have that attitude that We will do what his word says. We will allow the Spirit of God to capture our thinking, that we will occupy our mind with the word of God so that we can, in fact, live a life that has some value. But it comes from a heart, our desire, to submit ourselves to God. You know, we bristle at the word obedience. And I thought about it when I was putting it in. I actually thought about it as I was reading uh, the Sunday school lesson. We hate that word, really. Because it brings a sense of being subordinated to being pushed down or held down. And our rebellious attitude we just can't stand that but god desires a willing submission to his will but he calls it obedience look at hebrews 11:8 I was telling my wife, I only have seven pages, but it's going to go a long time if we don't. But that's all right. We just won't go that long. Hebrews 11:8 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. God had a desire for Abraham. God's desire was for him to move out. And he didn't even know where he was to go. But his attitude was one that he was willing to submit his desires to God's will. Think about, we see Abraham in the Hall of Fame of Faith... The faithfulness of Abraham is listed. And what is it listed? It's listed because he obeyed the will of God from this verse. All right, now I'll turn to 1 Samuel thirteen, 13. We're going to look at a, a few verses here that will give us some background in this idea of submitting ourselves to God. So in first Samuel thirteen thirteen, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord whoop, wrong one. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God. Thou hast done foolishly because thou hast not obeyed is really what he's saying. So then, it's foolishness if we don't seek to follow the will of God in our life, to seek to, to prioritize what God would have us to do versus what we want. It's not too much farther. Go to First Samuel fifteen twenty-two. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as the obeying of the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. To do the will of God, to allow his desires to be ours is better than any one thing we could do. Offering sacrifice rather than following what God had told Saul to do is just a huge error. Look in First Chronicles 28.9. It says, And thou, Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Now think about that first phrase. Solomon, my son. This is fatherly advice. Know thou the Lord or the God of thy father. How do we know God? We spend time in his word. We read the word of God and allow God to speak to us. And then because of that, Then, serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Well, only God can give us a perfect heart. But a willing mind, what's our desire? What do we desire in our life? He goes on to say, he searches all the hearts and understands the imagination of thought. He knows where we are anyway. Now, don't turn there, but in Ephesians 6.6, 6, he says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. This isn't an Old Testament philosophy or direction. This is God's will for men, that we would have a desire to do and to serve him with our whole heart. In Psalm 103, 100, verse 3, it says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. God placed us on this earth and provided salvation for us. Think about... Uh, uh, turn to uh, is it turn to Ephesians 2 eight and 9 and 10. He tells us this is the purpose for our salvation. Well one, He is full of mercy and great love. That was the reason he did it. But here he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that what? We should walk in them. What's God's will for us? That we would seek to serve him with our whole heart. In John 14 verse 15 he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Now Jesus there is speaking at length in John 14 and 15 both. Concerning abiding in Christ in 15. But the idea is manifesting Christ's love in us. Turn to, uh, maybe you're still in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, and look at 13, or excuse me, 15 through 17. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise... But understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not unwise. Be not foolish. Thou hast done foolishly. Well, here he says, don't be foolish. Be wise. Redeem the time. Buy back the time. Make the time on this earth worth something. It's just a close association with walk, you know, with God. Excuse me. Walk humbly with thy God. We can just think of that. Walk humbly with thy God. If that was our mantra, even walk humbly with our God. Think of the things that we would do, but think of the things that, though not necessarily bad or or any of that, it's not one of the. I don't know, whatever they call them. The idea is that there's value in what we do in our lives. And there's wasting time. And, unfortunately, or killing time. You know, it used to be an expression, but it still is. What are you doing? I'm just killing time. Well, you only got so much. enjoy what you can in the situation you're in and Romans 6:17 he says but God be thanked you were servants of sin but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to you should be different we should have a different attitude a different approach no loss because we have a different standing. You know in Philippians two thirteen he says, "For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure." Turn to First uh, Corinthians 4.2. Says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, not foolish, but faithful. Now, with all of that, it's kind of the buildup for the story of Balaam. Now, Balaam lived in the time of Moses, and when Moses was leading the nation out of Egypt. They were camped by the nation of Moab And the Moabites had heard of the great nation of Israel Actually the great army of Israel And they feared for their lives Now what they didn't know Is that God had told the nation Not to bother or trouble themselves with the Moabites that was in Deuteronomy 2.9. But turn now to Numbers 22, and we'll look at the story of Balaam. Now we're introduced here to Balaam in verse 6. Now we should read the rest Okay, so Numbers twenty two one. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all Israel had done to the Amorites. And Bal and Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was Distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab saw the elders of Midian, or said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around about us. And he goes through a few more things. And anyway, in five, the King Balak sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Bor which is by the river, it's telling where he's from, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. So in 6 now, he's going to ask him to do something. He says, Come now, therefore, I pray, thee curse me, this people. For they are too mighty for me, peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I want that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So, we see, again, we see Balaam introduced here. Now, he was a prophet, I'll call him a prophet for hire. You know, he has you know, other titles, whether it was... Sorcerer, a bunch of things, but a prophet for hire, and he's linked here to King Balak because King Balak asked him to do something for him. Now, unfortunately, Balaam is not well remembered in Second Peter two five. He says, which have forsaken the right way. Now he's talking about false prophets here. And have gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bazar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So he certainly is a prophet for hire. And he's linked by the motivation of even these false teachers from Second Peter. But he's remembered in Scripture as one who lives in a, a natural sphere, a, a day-to-day existence, looking for how he can get ahead, not ahead spiritually, not, not how he can serve the Lord, not how he can make his life count. But how can he be better off materially than he is now? No spiritual understanding at this point. Although the interesting things that we'll see about him. But in Jude, he is referenced as the heir of Balaam. And in Revelations, it mentions him as the doctrine of Balaam. But it's all Negative. It's all worldliness. None of it is having any spiritual insight or direction in his life, in their lives. Now, in all these cases, and in, in this story, worldliness, not spirituality, is on display. So King Balak wants Balaam's help to defeat the nation of Israel. Well, let's look. With the jump a little bit, let's look at verse 12 and we'll see God's direction for Balaam. In verse 12, he says, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. I found that an amazing statement. They are blessed. We are blessed as well. And we're not blessed. The nation of Israel wasn't blessed because they were great people. They were blessed because they were God's chosen people. He chose them. They were different. They were special to him. Now, we can't understand, in every case, God's thoughts... We will when we get to heaven. But the idea that they were blessed. You know, God knows exactly what we are. You know, we are simply men with flaws. But he doesn't see us as that. He sees us as redeemed in Christ. He didn't see the nation of Israel as disobedient, though often they were. He saw them as his chosen people. And so he says here to, to Balaam, You're not I don't want you to curse them because they're blessed. You know, first of all, he couldn't ever curse them. We'll see that. We won't get all the way to 24, but Because they are blessed. They are God's people. Now, we are not worthy of blessing just like the Israelites were not worthy of blessing. But he had chosen them, and they were blessed in that. Now, certainly we have blemishes, and certainly everyone can see our. But God doesn't see us that way. He sees us. As perfect in Christ, because that's our position. That's our standing. You know, you, you, our state, our standing is not judged. No, I said that wrong. Our state, the condition that we 're in at any given time, is not judged by our standing, our standing is we 're perfect in Christ, our position is we 're perfect in Christ, God sees us in Christ, and though we may and often do turn from that turn our eyes from. The Word of God, or from Jesus and His provision, and f- act foolishly because we don't aspire even to have or, or to fulfill the Word, or the will of God in our lives. That what's interesting about that is the converse is true too. Our standing, our position is not to be judged by our state. You know, the condition, or not condition, yes, the condition that we find ourselves in when we're walking in this world has no bearing truly on our standing because we're perfect in Christ. Those who have placed their faith in Christ are going to heaven. That's a fact. Not, it's not something that's judged on how we did or how we're doing today. God's appeal isn't based on he's judging us whether we're good enough or not. We're not good enough. God's a desire for us is to have a life that has value and meaning. And he's going to reward us for it in heaven. But our focus has to be, what is our desire? Do we desire to seek to serve the Lord? Is our desire to do God's will? Or is our desire to do our desires? It's a simple choice, and we often act Foolishly. All right, let me get back to where I was here. Okay, keep your finger here, but turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll look at the first five verses. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's our standing. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then... Shall ye also appear with him in glory? That's what we're looking forward to. But then he says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he has a little list here. That's what his desire for us is to live a, a life that has some value, to live a life that is well-pleasing to him, that prioritizes the will of God over the desires of our flesh. Balaam doesn't get that. Now, with temptation, let's look back in Numbers 22. Balak is not one to be to give up either. So in 12, when God tells Balaam what to do, in 13, he rises up and he goes to the the people that the king had sent to him and he tells them, I'll just go home. I can't go with you. The Lord refuses to give me leave. And so they go. But Balak in 15, he's not easily... Uh Giving up He sends again And they're more honorable And they bring more money And they come to Balaam and they say Balak Let nothing I pray thee Hinder thee from coming to me I'll promote thee I'll make thee great honor I'll do all this stuff for you I pray thee just curse this people for me And Balaam answered and said, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Wow, that's half of a really good answer. Part of it is he's he's counting the money. How much will it take? But he says, Stay here tonight, and I will know what the Lord will say more unto me. You see, Balaam, Balaam hasn't decided that the word of the of the Lord, that what God had told him directly, was was the final word. He said, "I'm I, I'm going to ask again because maybe, just maybe, I can get I can get this treasure trove." So ask yourself this, you know, what does it take? What level of worldliness does it take for us to disobey God in our lives? You know, Balak did not give up easy, and there's people in our lives, in our periphery, that may say, you know, come and do this, come and do that, whatever. But what level of worldliness, what does it take? For us to say no to the will of God and yes to our physical desires. You know, in James 1.14, it talks about temptation. It says, when every man is tempted, he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Drawn away. It's lured by the bait. What kind of bait does it take? Well, in Balak's case, or excuse me, in Balaam's case, he was tempted in verse 7. Now look in verse 17. He says, I'm getting even great, greater riches. 18, he says, if you would give me even just a little more And so he goes to God again. And look at God's response in verse 20. God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that thou shall do. Now, he's saying in a sense, Well, go if you want. If that's what you want, then go. But you know what my will is for you because I told you in verse 12. It sets up an opportunity here for God to display himself in glorious way. And we'll see in this story, God now is going to display his mercy for Balaam. Even though Balaam is completely undeserving because he's completely following his physical desires and not seeking to do the will of God, we shouldn't have had to ask him again. But now, having asked again, God gives him a sense of go then, but. So, Balaam goes. And God intervenes. If you read through the story three different times, oh, we can read it. It's uh... So Balaam rises up in 21, saddles his donkey, and away they go. But in 22, God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for the, an adversary against him, now the, God's anger there—the sense is a sense of frustration with a child who simply wouldn't obey. As parents or even mentors, think about think about what Samuel said: "Thou hast done foolishly in disobeying God." That's the Lord's response here. That's God's response. And so he has an adversary, the angel of the Lord, it's actually the Lord, standing in the way. Now he's riding upon his donkey, and two servants are with him, and the, the donkey is much more observant, much more in tune than Balaam, because he swerves out of the way, and of course Balaam beats him. But when he gets back on the road, the angel of the Lord is in a different spot. And in 25, the donkey sees him, and he rubs Balaam's foot against the wall, saying, Don't you see this? And of course he doesn't. So he beats him again. And they go in 26, a little farther, and he does it. This time he falls down. And he beats him again. So the Lord uses this donkey. And the donkey says, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam says, You mocked me. If I had a sword, I'd kill you. And then in 30... He says, haven't I been dependable for you? Haven't I done everything you've ever asked me to do? Haven't I been a, a faithful servant? And he says, no. But well, The Lord opens his eyes, sees the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and then he prostrates himself and falls before him and then the lord says why did you beat this donkey three times i came to withstand thee cuz you your my, thy way is perverse before me perverse and that word means taken by wickedness in a sense for a child of god it's a double mindedness you have been double minded you have the world and the world's goods the desires to be well fed well dressed well whatever far above the will of god in second 2 peter 2:14 2, through 16 He says, having your eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls a heart they have exercised with covetous practices cursed children which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray and following the way of Balaam love the wages of unrighteousness but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of a prophet. That's Balaam's epitaph. That's what Balaam's remembered for. Now look at verse 34, though. Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee I will get I will get me back. I'll go back. I'll go back. But what he's saying is, I didn't know you were standing there. But you know what? In verse 12, God said, don't go with them. So Balaam made a decision in time to go with them. Now here, after seeing that the Lord is displeased, he's saying, I didn't know you were standing there. Well, the donkey knew you were standing there. So, Balaam is a a picture of worldliness following our physical desires and not seeking to do the will of God. Now, it's a good illustration for us, but the overarching Takeaway for us is Micah 6 8. What hath the Lord required of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God day in and day out. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for an opportunity to look into your word and see your your perfect will for man, for each and every one of us, that we could humbly seek to serve you. Follow the will and knowing that your great love and mercy, everything that you do for us is what's best. Pray that that could be uppermost in our minds as we go about our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.